We hope that this message encourages you today. For more information about us, please visit myfreedom.church. You know, I'd prepared something and I'm just going to just share from my heart this morning, if that's okay. I, um, I may come back into the notes if I feel I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> but I, I just, let's just th- thank you for that prayer. But I just want to pray again. Holy Spirit, just direct everything we do right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, I'm just more and more overwhelmed and blessed with how much God loves me. And how much God loves people. In the, I think the penultimate song that we sang today, there was that beautiful line of every... There's a lot of beautiful lines in that song, but one particular about that, that every single person, six, the, the God's nature or love or grace is seen six billion ways. And so often, I think, you know, as, as the church, we forget that actually God loves people as much as He loves us. And... Uh, he is absolutely in love with, with everyone. Um, and I think some of the rules and regulations we put up uh, in order to say, well, you've got to jump through this hoop to be a Christian, or you've got to jump through these hoops to be part of a church. I think, I don't think God's that bothered about hoops. I think He's bothered about people. And I think we just have to be a, receiving the love of God enough to love people. Not convert people, love people, and uh, God will do the rest. I, I really believe we're coming into a time where God doesn't want us to just continue to do what we've always done, continue to think the way we've always thought, but actually allow Him to revive us with His nature and with His love. There's a lot of prophecy like there always is at the turn of the year. I'm not being cynical, I'm just being factual that uh, there's going to be a revival coming next year, there's going to be a revival coming next year, that's going to be an amazing revival across Europe particularly, and across America, and I say amen to that. Uh, Don't you know there's already a revival going on in many parts of the developing world that we don't hear about? But there's so many things going on that God is doing. But I, I, I really believe that if we want to see revival, first of all, you revive something that's near death or is dead. Uh, so revival comes to revive something that's near death. And, and, I, and I believe that a lot of the prophecies that are coming are revivals coming to the church. That doesn't say a lot about the church, does it? <clears throat> because it, it says that the church is near death. And, 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 and you can go to certain places and it looks successful. You can go numbers-wise. You go to certain places and it looks successful program-wise or teaching-wise. You can go to certain places and look successful family-wise, the way people love each other. and All those things are great. I'm not knocking any of those things. But I'm just saying that I really believe that God wants something different. He wants His heart. He wants His nature. And, and, and what do I mean by that? There's a... <clears throat> you know, this is just distracting me, so I'm just going to turn it off. <laughs> I love technology, but not that much. <clears throat> Sorry, that's not distracting me, but I... I I'm going to put it there. <clears throat> There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and it talks about the difference between um, the law of Moses and the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. It talks about the difference of what Paul describes as the ministry of death and condemnation that came through Moses. 
And it describes the difference between that ministry, that service that brought about death and condemnation and the ministry of Christ. Do, do we realize that Jesus is an, from an entirely different priesthood than Moses? The person who wrote the first five books of the Bible and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is from an entirely different priesthood to Jesus, who all the Scriptures are about. And what we must understand is that God is looking for a Jesus people, for a church to represent Him in Jesus, not through Moses. That, That God wants a people that know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and what it is to really be a friend of the Holy Spirit. That that God wants the friendship of the Holy Spirit to be not just something we talk about in a meeting, but something that's our experience all the time. And that we don't have to say certain things, have certain things forgiven, in order for us to speak to God. That God has cleansed us of all unrighteousness. That we walk before Him just as if we never sinned. That's what justification means. And why has God done that? Because He wants fellowship. He wants intimacy. He loves you and me. And He literally died to get us together. He literally died so that you and I could come into fellowship with Him. And the church of Jesus Christ is the the earth expression of His love. That's what it's supposed to be. And it's the bride of Jesus. And one thing I think sometimes when we look at the church and we, we're not happy with certain things, or there's certain legalisms, or there's certain difficulties that we've been through, or we say things that we've all said, if I ask for a poll, we've all said it at one time, oh, the church has hurt me. Well, actually, it's not the church that's hurt you, it's somebody in the church that's hurt you, okay? So, we all go through those things, and I'm not demeaning or knocking those things down, they're all significant and important, But the amount of stuff that is said negatively about the church when it's actually the bride of Jesus. Jesus is in love with His bride. He's in love with you and me. His grace is towards us. When Jesus looks at the church, He doesn't see what we see through the spectacles we see. He sees His bride. He sees beauty. He sees with one glance of her eyes, she overcomes Him. He is absolutely committed and devoted to his bride, the church. And he's committed and devoted to his bride, the church, not staying under the bondage of legalism. I may have shared it before, but I remember many years ago, when I, maybe 2006 it was, and we just got a nice building in Coventry after being here, there, everywhere for three years, and things were looking up, people were coming in, we had a great band, this band... It, sound, it was like Hillsong's Coventry. It was an amazing band. It really was. I'm not exaggerating. We had some amazing musicians. And, uh, and the preacher wasn't too bad either. And, and it was just looking really good. You know, looking, ooh, this is going somewhere. And, and God spoke to me one morning. And I didn't recognize it at first. I was in that stage between sleep and awake which some of us, I know, spend a lot of time in. But, you know, I was on that particular stage early one morning. And I heard a, 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 a woman wailing and crying. Now, my wife isn't given to wailing, and she was happily asleep next to me, so it wasn't her. So I kind of got out of bed and, and looked outside. We lived on a main road at that time, so there's sometimes things going on outside. And looked outside, there was just nobody there, but I, I heard this audible sort of wailing. And, and eventually I thought, well, maybe God's 
saying something to me. You know, people say, God's trying to tell me something. God never tries to tell you anything. He's particularly good at telling and speaking, <laughs> just that we try to hear. And, and, and I'm trying to hear this and trying to understand. And I said, God, what is this? And he, he just said, it's the voice of my bride wailing under the bondage of legalism. And I said, I want you to be one of the people that helps bring in a revolution of grace, bring in a revolution of my love for my bride. And, and it, just, it just hit me. And, I, and just recently, the last sort of six months, I've, I've really just come back into that. I've been on a journey for many, many years on the nature of God. I found that the start of ministry, when you're dealing with people that have complex issues and abusive backgrounds and, and, and the theology that you've learned growing up does not really meet their need at all. It doesn't, even, it doesn't even for one second. We can't just tell people, well, God is in control. He's doing something through it. You'll be okay. It's just a pat answer. It just doesn't make any sense to them. And I'm not against theology. I've got a master's in theology. But really what I want is less theology and more power. And, 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 and the power is based not on man's power. It's based on the love of God. You know, love is the strongest power there is. The Bible says love is stronger than death. It, it, it says that love never fails. So, so there needs to be a revival of love and grace that the church takes hold of. Because if you look at revival history, and I'm a student of revival history, there's been a, some amazing revivals in the last few hundred years, all over Western Europe particularly, and into America, whether it be the Jonathan Edwards revival, whether it be the Azusa Street revival, whether it be the Welsh revival, all these different moves. And they all petered out. And can I suggest why they petered out? Is because we began with grace but went under law. We began to, like they did in the Voice of Healing revival in the 50s and 60s in the States, one particular man built a bigger revival tent than another man and had his ministry partners measured to see it was bigger than the person down the road. That's comparison that's based on political ideas and religious ideas and insecurity, and it's based on legalism. It's based on, I'm better than you. It's based on, you can't come up to my standard. And all this thing creeped in, but I believe that the next revival that's going to come will be a revival where we first of all understand the way God operates. Do you remember what Jesus did before he ascended to the Father? He spent 40 days and 40 nights talking to his disciples about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, one great definition of the kingdom of God is simply this. It's the way God operates. Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights talking about the way God operates. It's interesting, isn't it, that that 40 days is always seen in context of Perhaps bad stuff like wilderness. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. For 40 years they wandered around the wilderness and many of them died in that generation. So Jesus takes that 40 and he makes it positive. He says, look, this is the way I operate. And I'm going to take 40 days to explain it to you. I operate this way and this way is the way of love. Doesn't Paul pick this up in 1 Corinthians 13? He says, follow the way of love. Can I suggest to you that whether... You sit under the greatest apostle, and I hope that they're thin if you do sit under them. Whether, whether, that's a joke there. If you, when you have to tell people a joke, it's obviously not that funny, is it? Anyway, <clears throat> so whether you sit under the greatest apostle, whether you 
have all your historical, this is where we come from, this is our line of historicity, and now we're the next generation and we've kept the purity of our doctrine. Whatever you believe about that stuff, can I suggest to you two little sounds, clang and dong, <laughs> clang and dong, because if it has not love, it's a resounding symbol, and it's a, a clanging symbol, and it's, a, it's like a, a donging gong, for the want of a better expression, okay? So it, it, it makes these clanging noises, and so much of our churchianity and so much of our ministry is really... It looks good, but it makes a clanging noise if the very nature of it is not love. If the very nature of it is not love. Now, what's the relationship between love and grace? Grace is love in action. It's, it's where you, you can... Jesus is pretty much love in action. God is love and Jesus is grace because He is God in action, isn't He? And the church is supposed to carry on that ministry of Jesus to be God in action, to go around doing what Jesus did and go around fulfilling what Jesus wanted to be fulfilled and go around representing Jesus. But religion comes in and legalism comes in and teaches us, oh, you're not like Jesus. It teaches us that in order to be like Jesus, you've got to do A, B, and C, when actually the cross made us just like Jesus. All that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, made us completely and utterly justified before God. There's an interesting part in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul talks about whenever Moses is read, a veil comes. A veil comes. And he's talking about the Israelite nation, but I think there's a, a lesson for us all in it as well, that when we go back to teaching and preaching do's and don'ts, right and wrong, should and should nots, then a veil comes over and it actually clouds our sight. We can't see Jesus the way He really is and we can't see ourselves the way we really are. And it goes on to say, as we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And as we see Him, what does it say? We are like Him. As we see Him, we are like Him. One of my favorite movies, one of my favorite franchises is Star Wars. Very excited at the moment. Forgive me if you're not a Star Wars fan. You, this is my legalism. If you're not a Star Wars fan, what are you doing being a Christian? I'm joking. <laughs> but that, but that, that's, that's, my, that's my legalism for you. I'm looking forward to the next one. People say these last, last ones aren't as good. I love them all. As long as it's got Star Wars and I've got it. I've got the lunchbox, got everything. Okay. So, but there's one particular scene in the last part of Return of the Jedi, which is one of the original, and some people will say the best. There you go, Mark. I knew you would say amen to that. So, so and what happens is, at the end of the film, forgive me if you've not seen it, I'm sure most of you have, but Luke basically is carrying his father, whose father has just defeated the emperor, so we thought he had, and he's carrying his father and trying to get him off the Death Star before it all blows up. And he's, his dad's not doing well. His dad is Darth Vader, by the way. And he, he, he puts... Yeah, there you go. He puts, he puts his dad down and his dad says to him, Luke, take this mask off so I can see you with my own eyes. 
Take this mask off so I can see you with my own eyes. In that moment, his dad would have thought, if I take this mask off, he's going to see me the way I am. He's going to see me burned. He's going to see well, the effects of evil upon me. He's going to see the scars. He's going to see all the imperfections if I take this mask off. But I just want to see him with my own eyes. So the mask comes off and, and, and the smile comes on. Vader hadn't smiled for decades, but he smiles. Anakin smiles and looks at Luke, looks at his son. And why was he smiling? Because he could see his son who he loved. But as he looked at his son, he was reminded of who he was. He was reminded of who he was. Not the, the, the big black cloak the emperor placed on him, the identity. Not the mask that had been placed on him because of his injuries. None of that mattered. He saw in Luke, his son, he saw who we he was and we see in the sun who we are we no matter what this world has tried to do, do to us you know a cloak in biblical times was a symbol of your identity remember blind bartimaeus wore a cloak and what did he do when jesus came past he slung the cloak off why he was saying that's not going to be my identity you see the world tries to put on us an identity religion tries to put on us an identity people try and put an identity on us because they view us by what they can see but god looks at the heart doesn't he God looks at what he made on the inside. God looks at the origin. God looks at the source, which is him. And when he sees you, he sees himself. And when you see him, he wants you to see yourself. He wants you to see who you really are. That sin is not more powerful to mar you than love is more powerful to heal you. Sees you. The way you really are. So when we sing those beautiful songs about his irresistible love, you know, it's almost, you can feel the embarrassment of the religion trying to come in. That Jesus pursued me like that. I'm not sure about these lyrics. Be sure about them. Because he pursues you. He loves you. You know, the religious person says, I found God. No, he's not missing. He found you. People say you've got to seek God. He sought you out. He went the extra mile. Even while hanging on a cross, he's still about bringing people to himself. The Bible says we serve a happy God. Sometimes I have to remind myself out of that to get myself out of my own misery of legalism. We serve a happy God. God is a happy God. But I think, you know, so much over the years, there's been so many great things in teaching and so many great things in practice in the church, but there's been stuff that isn't so wonderful. And I think the veil has tried to come back. The veil that will stop us seeing who we really are. The veil that will stop us seeing who God really is. And the veil that will stop us seeing who people really are in God's sight. Last week we had some guys come in who had been in before into the church meeting. And uh, afterwards, 
I wasn't there the last time they came and afterwards they came to, to speak to me after the, the meeting and, and one of these particular people very very open and, and a real heart you could tell they were really searching for God and wanted to know God's love and and she just related to me an experience and the experience was this that she said uh, I, the first thing she said to me is I want you to know I'm bisexual and um, then she said uh, and in the last church uh, some people took me in, in a car and drove out parked the car and tried to deliver the bisexual spirit out of me and it, I, I, she said I was terrified she said, is that going to happen here? I just put my arms around and I said, you know what's going to happen here? We're just going to love you. Because that's what Jesus would do. The rest is not important. Then she said this, what do you think about homosexuality? And I said, I don't really think about it a great deal, to be honest. But then I said this, I said, that your identity is bigger than your sexuality. And I'm interested in you finding out who you are. My sexuality is not my identity, nor is it yours. I'm fine. I want you to find out who you are in Christ, who you are in the love of God, how much God loves you, and let the other stuff just, just be irrelevant and secondary to knowing who you are. Because I can guarantee if you find out who you are, you're going to live the best life possible. There's a, <clears throat> a beautiful picture of the way Jesus loves in the Old Testament in the Song of Songs. And it's a, a love story between a husband and a wife. But it's also a picture of Jesus and the church as his bride. And it is quite in detail. You know, people who think God is a religious prude, they just need to read the Song of Songs. It's, I mean, my word, it's... Uh, whew, you know, you have to read it with your wife close by. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. Come on, you know, it's true, isn't it? <clears throat> anyway, there's this beautiful verse in, I think it's chapter 5, verse 1. And it says this, and it's the conversation between the beloved and the lover. And they're both saying to each other, really, if you look into the text, let's go into the garden and let's get intoxicated on love. It's interesting, isn't it? The first thing God did was put man in a garden. And here you've got this heart of God and the heart of, 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 of also the, the object of his affection saying, let's go into the garden and let's be intoxicated on love. We are designed to be intoxicated on something. If we're not going to be intoxicated on the love of God, we'll be intoxicated with all sorts of toxins that actually will leave us empty and devoid of real life and real power, and real answers. Some people get intoxicated on alcohol, intoxicated on fame, intoxicated on religion, intoxicated on legalism, intoxicated on politics. I know somebody who never stops listening to LBC. My word. I'd rather be intoxicated on liquor than that. Anyway, my point is this. You can be intoxicated on all sorts of stuff, but God designed us to be completely immersed and intoxicated in who He is, and God is love. You know, John the Apostle, that he describes himself as the one that Jesus loved, in his letter, 1 John, he says twice, not just once, twice in, about the nature of God, he says, God is love. 
People say to me, Jeff, why do you keep preaching about love? There's so much more to preach about. Well, if God is love, what else is there to preach about? Literally, what, what else is there to preach about if God is love? <clears throat> and, and in this beautiful picture, you've got this interaction and intimacy going on. And, and this, let's go into this garden and let's just, let's just love each other. Let's just be close. Let's be intimate together. And it's a beautiful picture. But you need to read the chapter before because in the chapter before, the, the, the one who is the lover describes the beloved and it's quite in detail, the description, but in the early part of the chapter, it says that she's wearing a veil. And then later in the chapter, it says that, that the lover takes the veil off and looks into her eyes. Can I suggest to you, until the veil is removed of religion, we can't become intoxicated on love. Until the legalism goes, until we stop playing the legalistic games, until we stop the negative judgments and the criticism of everybody else, until we let those veils go and not hang on to those veils anymore, until we allow, allow the lover of our soul to remove that stuff, the veil that we see about ourselves, we're not good looking, we're not this, we're not that, we're not going to achieve this, we're not going to go. Who cares about that stuff? God doesn't care about it. He doesn't want you to care about it. He just wants to love you. And that love to be so overwhelming in your life and in my life that we just can't help but share it with somebody else. Somebody came to me the other week and said, We need to see more signs and wonders in the church, more signs and wonders and miracles. We need to see more of that stuff, Jeff. No, we need to see Jesus more. Because when we see Jesus more in, in who he really is, then what will happen is signs, miracles, and wonders won't be a problem. Do you know under the, under the old covenant, under the law of Moses, there were signs, miracles, and wonders? So I, I don't necessarily just want signs, miracles, and wonders. I want them in the right place from the right source. It says about the gospel of grace in, in the book of Acts, it says when the gospel of grace was preached that God testified to the gospel of grace with miracles, signs, and wonders. It was the gospel of grace that God testified to, not the law of Moses. And that glory was passing away. If we want to see a revival, it starts with us allowing our lover to take the veil off. We sing songs about there's no veil any longer. The veil's been removed. What did the veil in the temple show when it was removed, when Jesus was died? It showed there was nothing in there. It was a dead religious system. And what we tend to do in the church is take that dead religious system and place it again over the eyes of our community. And God is saying, I'm here to remove that. I'm here to remove that veil so you can see me with your own eyes and I can see you clearly with my eyes. God has always been after a face-to-face relationship one of the oldest schemers there is his name is Jacob in the Old Testament one of the people in the Old Testament that I would say and there was a lot of questionable characters one of the most questionable characters going Jacob who went through a hard time in his life meeting other questionable characters like Laban he met God face to face do you remember the story 
And in meeting God face to face, his name, his identity, his change from Jacob, which means usurper, to Israel, which means prince of God. When you start to see God face to face without any veil, without even the veil of your past mistakes, when you see him face to face, he gives you the identity you were born with before the world began. You were in him before the world began. He wants that identity as a prince in the house. As a son, as a daughter in the house, he wants that identity to be yours so powerfully. And I'll finish with this. Jacob and Esau, we, we know they fell out, and Esau was, you know, the sort of big wrestler type, and he was going to punch Jacob's lights out if he ever saw him again because Jacob had nicked his inheritance by making some nice soup. Oh, I love a bit of soup, do you? Anyway, <clears throat> so Jacob stole his inheritance and and, and, and basically they were fighting and, and, and Esau was after killing him. And after this time of encountering God and meeting God face to face, after a season, Jacob wants to be reconciled to his brother. Because when you see God the way he is and you see that he's reconciled the whole world to himself, you want to be reconciled with other people. You want to see everybody out there as a person that's already been reconciled to God. You start to see things differently. It's like the world was in... It's almost like this. You know, when we grew up... Well, I grew up in the, in the, in the late 70s and early 80s. And do you remember the black and white TV? Do you remember that the, the remote was a pole? Do you remember that? <laughs> or, or you had to get up and change it, the channel. And then you had that aerial, didn't you? That you had to sort of maneuver to get the picture. And you had to stand over here and look that way. Oh, I can see it now. But if I sit down over there, it's going to go. The picture's going to go. And then, in the, so we had this situation with, with, with this, this beautiful color TV came in the 80s. And then what do we have now? Wrap around, all dancing, all singing, HD, 4K, whatever, 3D. All these things we have now. This beautiful, beautiful way to watch. And I would suggest to you, that the way we've seen Jesus has been through that old black and white TV. And literally I say black and white because legalism is all about black and white. Right and wrong. But now God wants us to see Jesus in 3D. In HD. In 4K. He wants us to see Him the way He really is. And as we see Him, guess what? You don't feel like a black and white TV anymore because you see, you see yourself the way he sees you. Amen? Yeah. So coming back to Jacob, Jacob said, I want to be reconciled with my brother. And he, he arrives very tentatively with his whole family to meet his brother. And there's this standoff in the desert between his brother's tribe and his, his lot. And he's like, oh, I'm still a bit concerned. Is Esau going to kill me? And actually, they walk towards each other and they embrace each other and they reconcile. And there's a love between them. Even all the things that have happened between them, all the mistakes they'd made, all the promises they'd broken, all the things that, that annoyed them about each other growing up, it just melted away in the midst of that embrace that was full of the love of God. And then Jacob says something. Esau said, why did you come to embrace me? Last time, I, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but last time I, I was going to kill you. And Jacob said this, he said, When I saw your face, it looked like the face of God smiling at me, therefore I embraced you. You see, 
This is the way Jacob encountered God. Not a harsh God. Not a God that was looking to do him down or point out his faults. He saw a God who smiled on him face to face. So when he saw that reflected in Esau, because guess what? If God was dealing with Jacob, he was also dealing with Esau. When he saw it reflected in Esau, he knew that reconciliation at that moment was possible and he went for the embrace. It's all about perception. Do we perceive through love? Are we still wearing the veil? Stand with me, please. I just want to apologize for those that feel that I should have opened the Bible this morning. Forgive me. But I've shared to you the heart of Jesus from the Scripture. Just close your eyes in His presence. Can I just speak a truth to you? Life is too short on this earth not to get what I'm saying today. It goes so quickly. And I just want you to know, like we sang earlier, the irresistible love of God this morning. I want you to know that His arms are around you right now. Any word that's been spoken of you that has been negative, that has been destructive, He wants to literally hug you and squeeze that out of you so that you don't see yourself the way that person said you were, that you don't feel that you've got no hope, that you can just, you just got to give up, there's nothing left for you to do. There is so much left for you to accomplish. But accomplish it out of intimacy because intimacy produces fruitfulness. Father, I just pray for each person in this room, including myself, Father, that that you would just, again this morning, intoxicate us, as you've already been doing, intoxicate us with your love. Embrace us with your presence and your grace, which is your presence. That the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, would... Yeah, okay. Would just envelop us all. You know, there's certain things that Jesus said that seem really hard to understand or even harsh sometimes. And I was reading one the other day and it says, whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever finds his life for my sake will keep it. I studied this out and I felt the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the best way to interpret the Scripture. I felt the Holy Spirit just speaking to me about this verse and I was looking up in some dictionaries and various things. And first of all, I was, I was sort of prompted, I was in my own thinking, to look at the word life there. And it's the word breath. Breath for me always speaks of intimacy. You know, he breathed into us, didn't he, life at the, right at the beginning. And I was just meditating on it and 
And I, I, I kind of just wrote this down, which I, I, it's not adding to the scripture, but it's an interpretation of it. And it, it's literally this, he who saves his breath will lose it. He who finds his breath will keep it. Or, or a different way of saying that is this. He who says to Jesus, save your breath, he's going to lose in life. But he who allows Jesus to take his breath away will find what he's looking for. He who allows Jesus to take his breath away, what with Jesus' sake or Jesus' cause? The kingdom, Jesus' purpose, who he is, the heart of the king, this is stuff that takes my breath away. And I suppose the question I want to leave you with is, are we really saying to Jesus, I want to keep my religion, I want to keep my life, I want to keep my this, that, and the other that I hold on to as a false comfort. I want to keep all this stuff. And now, Jesus, I want you to save your breath. Save your breath. Don't talk to me about this grace stuff. Don't talk to me about the church being the apple of your eye. I, I, I'm, too, I'm too hurt with it all. Don't talk. Save your breath, Jesus. Or are we saying, Jesus... I come to you with all my baggage and my mess. Just take my breath away again. Let me fall in love with you all over again the way you love me. <laughs> and then I, I felt, just in my thinking, I think it was the Holy Spirit, just to, to find out what that word meant where Jesus says that for my sake he will find it. What that word find means in that scripture. And it actually is the word sozo, which is where we get salvation from. So Jesus was saying, if you let me take your breath away with my cause, you'll be made whole. And actually in the Greek, that word cause, literally, <laughs> I couldn't believe this when I saw it. It's transliterated in the Greek, I, I, I kid you not, the word Heineken. So literally, Jesus, if you allow me to take your breath away with my Heineken, you will be made whole. In a cheesy way, let me just say this, that Jesus refreshes the parts other things cannot do. It's literally in the text. There are other beers, by the way. Let him take your breath away. In Jesus' name. Amen. Whether you are listening or watching, we hope you enjoyed this message. Please consider giving us a rating on your preferred podcast provider. If you're watching, please hit the subscribe button and click the notification bell so that you never miss another video from Freedom Church.